This is Ringler Radio, where you get all the latest news and information about the structured settlement industry from the experts in the know. Ringler Associates, the undisputed leader in structured settlements for more than 30 years and the only broker you need. Ringler Radio is made possible in part by the life markets that issue structured settlement annuities, including Allstate, American General Structured Settlements, Aviva, The Hartford, Liberty Life, Mass Mutual, MetLife, New York Life, John Hancock, and Prudential. Now, join Ringler Radio host, Larry Cohen. Well, hello, everyone, and welcome again to Ringler Radio. I'm Larry Cohen, your host and the head of Ringler Associates Northeast Operations. Remember, you can listen to every Ringler Radio show free from our website, ringlerassociates.com, or on the Legal Talk Network at legaltalknetwork.com. And as an added bonus, you can also get CLE credit for listening to Ringler Radio at law.com CLE Center. Well, today we're going to talk about Medicare set-asides, medical cost projections, and life care planning with a true expert on each of these topics. Uh, But before we introduce our special guest, I'd like to take a minute to have you meet today's co-host. It's Hugh Bingham from our Ringler office out in Denver, Colorado. And Hugh is a, uh, a Colorado attorney and also a claim individual. He has experience in both claims and law. He received a law degree from the University of Denver and a Bachelor of Arts degree from Brown University. So, uh, Hugh, you've got some roots in both Colorado and back here in New England. And uh, it's the Rockies versus the Red Sox. So uh, who are you rooting for? Well, <laughs> <laughs> say no more. I'd, I'd have to say the Rockies, yeah. but uh, all my people are rooting for Boston. Oh, isn't that interesting? Well, good. I, I think that your people are sound. Well, <laughs> let me introduce our special guest today. Our special guest is Tom Spratt from Protocols LLC. And interestingly enough, that company is also located in Denver, Colorado, although Tom resides in Manchester, New Hampshire. So again, we have the split loyalty. Uh, Tom is a Senior Vice President of Technical Operations with Protocols, and in this capacity, he's responsible for the firm's claims management consulting group, which includes assessment of clients' Medicare compliance programs and the training of claim staff. Tom has over 40 years' experience in the insurance industry, including 15 years as manager of the Home Office Claim Examining Unit of the Mighty Liberty Mutual. His expertise spans all state and federal statutory jurisdictions, as well as all employers' liability suits. So he's a, a, a real a pro at all this, and he's also a pretty good golfer. I remember uh, playing with him a couple of times. So, Tom, welcome. Thank you. <clears throat> Slightly better than average. <laughs> well, that's sometimes better than me. Well, listen, Tom, for all of those uh, folks out there who aren't familiar with what your company, the Protocol LLC folks, do, could you give us an overview? What is Protocol LLC? So briefly, uh, Protocols provides medical settlement planning for both WC and personal injury cases. The main part of the business is currently Medicare set-asides, but we also do liability set-asides as well. Uh, Protocols is somewhat unique because not only do they have medical and legal resource, uh, but we also do custodial account or professional administration of medical needs. Uh, Lastly, um, special needs trust is a vehicle uh, that we also use. Um, and and the firm is able to handle those as well. Well, that's good. So you're specializing in workers' comp and personal injury cases uh, and how they all interact with a lot of these Medicare issues. And, Hugh, uh, why don't you follow from here? Yeah. Okay. Medicare is such a complicated issue these days, Tom. 
Could you explain exactly how your company handles the issue of how funds are distributed to those who are eligible? Well, there are two issues here. Uh, and I guess the first one is, uh, is the claimant capable of handling the funds earmarked in the set-aside? Certain injuries, such as head injuries uh, or an elderly person, a person with a low IQ, would suggest they probably aren't going to be able to handle the funds appropriately. In that case, we would recommend professional administration be considered. Uh, Whilst the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services routinely approve self-administration on virtually all cases, regardless of the dollar amounts, uh, we recommend to our clients on certain cases that uh, it would be appropriate to to do professional administration to make sure the funds are preserved. Regardless of whether the funds in the set-aside are administered by the claimant or professionally administered, an annuity is always the preferred method to fund the set-aside. Now, that presumes there's enough money uh, enough money uh, set aside. It, it, minimally, I would say twenty dollars or $25,000 would certainly be sufficient for future medical in order for an annuity to be used. Annuities preserve the set-aside, whereas a lump sum is subject to premature exhaustion. If, if the set-aside is not used properly, that is, it's not used solely to pay for Medicare-covered medical, Medicare could refuse to pay the recipient's benefits because they exhausted funds inappropriately. Well, that's interesting. We always, and of course, you're, you're speaking to the choir here on structured settlements and on annuities. Uh, using annuities in those uh, in those MSAs are, are critical, and, and of course, we've, we're very happy about that. But really, what what happens in these cases is the the need to prepare and submit these MSA proposals to CMS to the Center for Medicare and Medicaid Services. Uh, your company does a lot of that, I know, and uh, so tell us about uh, that. That's a that's a big uh, problem for a lot of a lot of us folks. Well, Medicare has established an extensive, what I would call, laundry list of required item items for submission. Uh, the last two years of medical payments made, any medical reports which would indicate what future care is needed. Uh, the client may gather the meds, or we may send one of our reps in to review and copy the file uh, to obtain the necessary meds. Reports may be from the treating doctors or from an independent medical examiner who may have examined the claimant. Uh, in addition, any pharmacy the claimant uh, is taking must be considered. All the future medical needs are projected and the Medicare-covered medicals are carved out. The cost to fund by lump sum and annuity are both provided to the client. And due to the previous reasons I cited, the, the annuity is, is usually the preferred vehicle. A detailed report with a one-page summary is provided, and then all the background uh, as, to, as to where the projection comes from is also provided. Mm-hmm. Another very important point is the obligation that is posed on the claimant if they choose to self-administer is provided to the client. Um, CMS requires a separate bank account. You can't be commingling with your checking account. It must be interest-bearing. You can only pay Medicare-covered meds. Uh, and you must have an annual accounting of the payments made, even though they don't want them sent at this point, unless you're a professional administrator. If the claimant chooses to self-administer, we provide language to the client so they can include that in the state settlement documents. That further protects our client If should the funds be mismanaged. We don't want the claimant to come back and say, I didn't know, nobody told me. Well, you know, let me just follow up on that. I mean, Realistically, how many of these are self-administered by the claimants? I mean, aren't they typically going to these uh, professional organizations to do that? I would guess uh, well over 90% are self-administered. 
Really? Yes. Really. So they're not using the, the kinds of uh, services that, let's say, protocols would, would, would provide. Well, professional administration costs money. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, part of the reason you settle a claim is to, you know, is to end the claim, and, and you have to pay additional fees depending on how much is in the set-aside mm-hmm. to have somebody professionally administer it. So uh, at this point in time, the great majority are not professionally well, administered. That, that's interesting. However, uh, I, I guess it bears noting that the bigger the case, uh, the more likely it is that uh, that professional administration will be used. Yes, uh, I would agree with you. Not only the not only the, the weakness of the individual or the inability of the individual is important, but the size of the set-aside should should prompt those a responsible uh, payer to consider uh, professional administration. One note that I might make in, in this discussion, and I think it's implicit in what was said, but but it's an important thing to remember. Our clients can save a bunch of money by annuitizing uh, the Medicare set-asides, uh, as distinguished from just making a single upfront lump sum payment. That, no question about that. We're going to get into that a little bit later, and I know Tom's going to be talking about some of the trends that he's seeing, and uh, and some of them are a little bit troubling. But, uh, Hugh, why don't you ask uh, Tom, you were going to ask him, I think, about some rated ages issues. Yeah, uh, there's a lot of aspects to this, Tom. Uh, that we're talking about, and uh, one of the most significant is is rated ages, uh, both when it comes to purchasing uh, an annuity, but also when it comes to projecting costs, medical costs. Can you explain this a little more for our audience? Yes. <clears throat> um, life insurance markets utilize uh, medical underwriters. They do individual medical underwriting based on a review of all the claimant's medical conditions not just the condition that occurred in the comp of the personal injury matter. The underwriter then can rate the claimant's age higher than their actual chronological age based on that review. The end result is a higher age and a shorter life expectancy. Uh, this further reduces the cost to fund an annuity. You, you referenced the other way, the, the present value aspect, but this is another way to make the age higher, the life expectancy shorter, and the premium lower. Uh, the underwriters look for things such as anything that would cause a lack of mobility um, because a lack of mobility significantly uh, diminishes life expectancies. Um, other conditions, you know, diabetes, uh, uncontrolled hypertension, et cetera, would also be considered. We have another issue here, and, and maybe we can refresh uh, the audience, Tom, on the difference between these temporary certain annuities, these term certain type annuities, and the life contingent annuities. And which ones are best suited for the MSAs? Well, a temporary or annuity certain funds up to a specific time frame. Example, up to 20 years if the claimant's still alive. The goal of the set-aside is to avoid cost shifting to Medicare from the WC settlement. Thus, if the future exposure is lifetime, in my opinion, to fund anything less is illogical. Mm-hmm. I don't believe this is as large an issue, uh, but inadvertently CMS when they set up their process, gives the option to either fund the MSA with a lump sum or an annuity for a fixed period. Um, Most folks are still using lifetime annuities, but some have realized that you might be able to save some money, and it might be a little cheaper to do that on some cases. So they're funding them not on a lifetime basis. And and that's a problem, isn't it, Tom? I mean, wouldn't you you sense that... uh putting these lump sums in or some of these, especially with these life expectancies going on for longer than typically, even though the rated ages are there, some of these people are living for a longer period of time. 
there's no question but that the an annuity should be funded for life if, in fact, the future medical is expected for life. Mm-hmm. To do otherwise would unnecessarily expose the Medicare trust fund if they live uh, outlive the expected age. So I, I think it's the appropriate thing to do. Um, I, I think there's a much bigger issue, however, has been uh, an unanticipated uh, withdrawal of life markets from quoting annuities. Um, when the when Medicare secondary payer issue came in, um, the life markets were flooded with requests. They added life underwriters, and they got no additional business. Mm-hmm. So at least one large company refuses to quote workers' comp settlements. And uh, others, instead of giving you a rated age and, and having a life underwriter review the med, they're simply giving you a standard age. So the competition has significantly diminished, and uh, the savings you might get from using temporary annuities uh, it, it's much overshadowed by the fact that the competition isn't there to review the ages. That's interesting. Give me a give me a synopsis. Uh, and Hugh, you and I were talking about this earlier about what should really fund these MSAs. And and we found it interesting that Tom, according to what we thought, Tom, you can you can help us with that. You you thought that uh, lump sum should not be used and period certain should not be used as often as they are. But it's really the life annuity that should be really uh, the life contingent annuity. They should be used. Right. And part of the reason I, I feel strongly about that and wh- why we recommend this to our clients is I think there might be some forgiveness on the part of Medicare if, in fact, an annuity is used and some of the funds were inadvertently spent for the wrong things uh, for one or two years, there'll still be a stream of payments left. Exactly. And, and my thought is there might be some forgiveness there. If you're giving them the money in a lump sum and they've misspent it, um, then the ramifications are pretty significant to the claimant. You know, it's and it's the same for a, a non-MSA case. When you give a lot of cash to, a, to an individual and they dissipate it, <laughs> they're out of luck. And uh, that's why the, the monthly structured settlement periodic payment system tends to work a heck of a lot better. So what's involved uh, in the protocol LLC's medical settlement planning, uh, Tom, in order to provide the optimal outcomes for the parties that you're involved with? Uh, I'm aware that your companies has settlement teams that follow a pretty lengthy checklist or an agenda before they really get involved in the case. What are some of those issues that you're looking for on those lists? To be brief, um, mainly you want to determine what the treatment patterns have been. What was the WC injury diagnosis? What are the treatment patterns been? Is pharmacy a large part of that? Uh, If pharmacy is a large part of it, a drug utilization review might be requested to see if that is likely to continue. Uh, or if some of the drugs they're taking might be contradictory to one another. Any of the med reports which outline the future needs uh, and and detail the extent of likely future treatment are also critical. The next issue, I guess, is um, I, I, as a longtime claims person, it's, I, I truly believe, and my experience tells me, that treatment patterns change after claims are settled. Uh, it doesn't mean there's necessarily fraud involved, but people sometimes get on with their own life and they find different ways to... Uh, to uh, take care of their issues. The reality is um, you can't just assume that. And and if the treatment patterns have been significant, you're going to need something to justify putting anything less than what has been going on for a long period of time. Interesting. Tom, can you give us a real-life kind of a scenario of a case and how your team uh, works with all the elements uh, included? Well, I, I think one of the issues, and again, uh, th- this is a bit technical for some of the folks that might listen, but one of the issues that comes up with some frequency uh, is a doctor says, well, I think there may be a need for a future surgery. 
or in fact, there is clearly going to be a need for a future surgery. Oftentimes, folks are afraid of surgery or they don't feel they need it and they refuse it. Um, the, the quandary then becomes to the medical team, do you fund the surgery when the claimant has refused it? And it's been some period of time since it was recommended. Um, the, the other aspect is if you don't fund the surgery, uh, oftentimes there's certainly certain palliative care that they need, pharmacy or maybe injections or something along those lines. Um, so uh, to, to get into some of the more complex areas, CMS logically is, not, is reluctant to accept the fact that a doctor has uh, a recommended surgery and the claimant refuses it, and they expect funding. So that's just one example of something that comes up with a team that, that really requires a lot of work. Well, you know, it's interesting. We, we see, and we all do in claims, see uh, these prospective surgeries, whether it's scarring revisions or, or just surgeries per se. Uh, and a lot of times they're used to build up the value of cases, you know, and I'm speaking even in the liability arena. Um, and that you raise an interesting point that when it, when it comes down to this recommendation of surgery but refusal, and, and it's a long period of time between those two, what is the typical claim person is sitting at a workers' comp desk and they're trying to put together this MSA? What are they supposed to do? Where, I, I know you're saying err on the side of, of putting it in, but you know that raises the value of the case as well. So what, what, what do you suggest? Well, I think that the issue you bring up, and I, and I, I kind of call it uh, diagnosis creep, in that <clears throat> many of the claimants are focused on the indemnity aspect, the stream of benefits on indemnity. And a lot of times the medical gets built up or puffed up because uh, the thought is that that will increase the size of their award, whether it's a permanent partial award right. or a permanent total award. And, but the reality is that once those things are resolved, many times the medical does slow down. So the, the, the quandary the claim person has is if you give it to a Medicare provider and they come back and project a large amount for the MSA, sometimes it's more than the, claim, the claims people want to spend for the whole claim. And, and and you can actually, I think, an experienced attorney or broker, structure broker, might even be able to have a frank discussion with the attorney and say, look, you know, is your client really going to have these needs? And do you think they're really going to go forward? And But absent some medical reports, Medicare is an unsophisticated uh, person in the comp world. Mm -hmm. And so they look at what's been paid and look at the doctors say is needed, and they're going to insist on that funding. You know, and as you can tell you, we've all seen this the, in these life care plans that come out from the plaintiff side of things. Uh, you know, they're Rolls Royces. They want they want everything under the sun, and then you'll get a defense life care planner, and uh, you end up with a Chevy. And uh, so, so, somehow, uh, somehow the truth probably lies in a Buick, but uh, that that also poses real problems for the claim handler trying to fund these MSAs. And to what is the what would you say the the CMS CMS, what are they looking at when they look at life care plans, particularly in a case like this? Would they be looking at funding a and, and protecting the, the, the numbers on a plaintiff-oriented plan, or are they, practically speaking, looking at something in the middle of the road when they're, when they're looking at all this? Well, first of all, CMS hired a, a company called Joint Venture to review all submissions made to them, and they have the medical expertise. But it, it gets difficult. I think they've taken a more simplistic approach. If, and if there's a recommended surgery, they expect full funding. Yeah. And uh, there is, there's not a lot of latitude in there as to what is expected, and they're trying to show their worth as well. Interesting. Well, let's take a short break right now, and uh, we'll hear from some of the folks that make Ringler Radio possible. And then we'll have much more from Hugh and from Tom Spratt when we return in just a minute. This is Ringler Radio, Internet radio from Ringler Associates. Quite simply, the undisputed leader in structured settlements for more than 30 years. 
Since 1975, Ringler Associates has provided the finest structured settlement services to injured parties and their attorneys. Experience counts. Over 130,000 cases structured. This is Ringler Radio, internet radio from Ringler Associates, placing more than $18 billion in structures over the past 30 years and one of the few companies that truly enjoys the trust of all parties in the settlement process. Ringler Associates, the only broker you need. Listen to all the Ringler Radio shows. Just go to ringlerassociates.com and click on Ringler Radio and choose a topic. Ringler Radio is produced by broadcast professionals at the Legal Talk Network. Did you know you can download Ringler Radio to your iPod? Just go to iTunes and subscribe to the Legal Talk Network. It's free. We invite you to listen to our other shows on the Legal Talk Network and become a member. It's free at www.legaltalknetwork.com. Did you know Ringler Radio is one of the top three rated shows in iTunes? Thanks to all of our listeners who download all the Ringler Radio shows. Ringler Radio is made possible in part by the life markets that issue structured settlement annuities, including Allstate, American General Structured Settlements, Aviva, The Hartford, Liberty Life, Mass Mutual, MetLife, New York Life, John Hancock, and Prudential. Did you know that Legal Talk Network shows are also available as CLE? Including Ringler Radio. Visit Law.com's CLE Center at www.clecenter.com. That's clecenter.com to enjoy listening and get CLE credit. Welcome back to Ringler Radio. I'm your host, Larry Cohen, along with my colleague, Hugh Bingham, from our Ringler Denver office. Enjoying some uh, early season snow out there, aren't you there, uh, Hugh? <laughs> we are. we got a little bit, but it's melting right now. Well, that's, that's great. Well, we're talking about Medicare set-asides, medical cost projections, and life care planning with Tom Spratt. Tom is the Senior Vice President, Technical Operations of Denver-based Protocols, LLC. And he's also responsible for the firm's Claims Management Consulting Group. And, of course, Tom, I've known Tom for years uh, in his role that he used to play at Liberty Mutual. Well, Tom, it's no secret that uh, MSAs and complying with CMS are complex for anyone in the settlement industry, not to mention for the clients directly involved in all of this. And how can we simplify this? I mean, it's a very complicated, convoluted, time-consuming process. How can we simplify it? Well, I think that the, the issues involved are basically involved tax issues, Social Security, Medicare, Medicaid. So you really want to have someone that's experienced in tax issues and elder care law that deals with those issues. Mm -hmm. So an experienced Medicare provider that has medical and legal resource uh, and experience in Medicare matters is of value. Um, I think from a client's perspective, um, uh, particularly the claims department, they have a compliance issues. So the the company should have a documented program, a claim a program that claims department can follow, and they should get regular training to to understand not only what they do and why they do it, but what changes may have occurred. Well, I remember when you were at Liberty. I mean, that, that was you were one of the companies that really was at the forefront of this uh, when you were at Liberty, You're putting out these these programs and this protocol for, no pun intended on protocol, but these protocols <laughs> on. Uh, on how to do all this. Now, I'm sure you had your hand in all of that. How did you find that the claim department generally was complying with some of those things you were trying to get done? Well, the larger your claims department, the more difficult it is. And, and a lot of folks clearly knew w what they were supposed to do, but a lot of them didn't know why they did it. 
But either way, there was very good compliance internally, and I think that's important because Medicare just recently hired the Chickasaw Nation to uh, to recover liens and to start doing some audits on MSA. So compliance is going to be a bigger issue in time. Did so you that, say the Chickasaw Nation? The Chickasaw Nation. Well, tell yes. me that that's what is that? How does that? Imp- I don't, I don't. I don't understand that. What, well, the Chickasaw Nation is an Indian Indian tribe, right. and and they they do a lot of things uh, in, oh. in the government arena. I they in you. turn okay. will hire many other people who will do this do this task. Mm-hmm. And their main focus, I'm sure, will be lien recovery monies that Medicare already paid that they felt someone else should pay. But they're also asking this group to uh, to do some audits at some point. And um, how that will be done and when that'll be done, who knows? That's very interesting, Tom. Uh, on the protocols web blog. There are some interesting statistics about the CMS Workers' Comp Medicare Set-Aside Initiative. I wonder if we could talk about some of them. Uh, overall, it says CMS uh, claims the initiative has saved Medicare, Medicare more than $180 million during calendar year 2005 and more than doubled that to $390 million in 2006. Well, in fairness to Medicare, I think I should mention that they really don't have adequate staffing to do a lot of the things that the the burden of Medicare secondary payers put on them. Uh, But they did recently produce some data uh, as a result of changes that folks are trying to or are suggesting that be made to the program. So um, these figures, uh, again, there's not a lot of detail behind them, but I believe they reflect... um, what monies were recovered in that particular calendar year. Um, secondarily, the, the second year in 06 was so much higher, partly because pharmacy became covered by Medicare at that point. So um, I think the important point is um, that does not include uh, annuities mm-hmm. going beyond that time frame. This presumably, and again, this is my belief, this is simply a snapshot of what monies actually were recovered in that year, and it doesn't take into account the future funding of annuities. They would be booked as the, as the annuities paid out. Mm-hmm. Well, that's interesting. One of the things that we find oftentimes is that, and we get a lot of complaints about this, that CMS is constantly asking for more information, and they don't feel they've got enough information at hand. Uh, and that causes some of these cases not to be accepted. So what percentage of proposals would you say, uh, Tom, are not accepted by CMS? Well, according to, again, according to the data they supplied, they, they made reference to a figure of 16%. Mm. <clears throat> I think some of that is due to um, inexperience maybe of Medicare providers. This is a cottage industry. It's something that really uh, has started up in the late 90s when the regulation was uh, beginning to be enforced. Uh, and there are hundreds, if not thousands, of practitioners who do this. So some of it's inexperience. But I think a more uh, likely a more difficult problem uh, the industry faces is Medicare tends to um, want to make things black and white. Mm-hmm. Many comp cases have both accepted and disputed matters, whether it be a body part or whether it be a diagnosis. Uh, and again, I, I made reference to diagnosis creep before, where um, sometimes the claimant has other conditions, and to get those conditions related might make the indemnity settlement larger. Right. Or they may need care for that condition, and they don't have medical coverage. Uh, and their physician is trying to assist them in some ways. But either way, Medicare basically says if you have an accepted comp case, you need to fund everything. In the real world, there are conditions that are clearly accepted and there are conditions that are clearly denied. And I think that's part of this 16% denial piece. Mm -hmm. How does uh, protocols work with the legal profession? Well, protocols has developed a process um, where they basically apportion 
um, those areas that are disputed. I think Medicare would like that to be black and white, but um, we obviously work with the clients. We work with the clients' defense counsel, whether it be staff or outside, uh, and there are certain ways that you can approach Medicare and explain that, you know, this, we initially started with a lumbar problem, and now the claimant alleges a cervical problem, and there's no basis for it, and it really shouldn't be funded, but we are going to spend some money on a, to, to avoid pro- prolonged or protracted litigation. Uh, at this point, that's been a problem. It's, it's, there's been no ready solution for that aspect. You know, we've been talking a lot about here, obviously, workers' compensation claims, but you know, there's this whole rumbling out there that CMS and, and the Medicare set-asides are going to be required in the liability arena. Well, what are you hearing about that, Tom? Well, Medicare, right from the beginning, uh, asserted the right that the Medicare secondary payer regulations clearly address all other aspects, including liability claims. And they have um, indicated they will be coming out with guidelines uh, in the near future as to how to manage and how to consider their interest on liability claims. The fact of the matter is liability claims are a totally different animal. In the comp world, once a claim is accepted, um, the compensability issue is gone, and a high, high percent of comp cases are accepted. Secondarily, there's really no limitation to the, to the coverages available. In the liability world, almost all cases have liability issues that are, are contentious, if you would. Right. And secondarily, there are invariably coverage limits. So it's a different animal. Uh, Protocols does work with clients, and we have developed a process which would, um, on larger claims, uh, carve out or allocate some money to a set-aside as part of the entire settlement, again, on an apportioned basis. But at this point, um, it's it's, um, difficult to say what what or when Medicare or how they're going to address this issue. Mm -hmm. It's complicated for them. Well, it's not only complicated, but it's it's constantly changing, and it's constantly uh, it's like a moving target. So uh, it's going to be a lot of work for a lot of people out there for a number of years, and I think uh, you're going to be uh, serving Protocol LLC, LLC very well in the in the uh, near and distant future. Well, that's going to do it for this edition of Ringler Radio. I want to thank our special guest, Tom Spratt, who is the Senior Vice President, Technical Operations for Protocols LLC, again out in Denver. And, uh, Tom, how can people reach you uh, if they want to have questions about today's topic? I know you're up in New Hampshire, but uh, do you have a website or a, or a phone number? Actually, Protocols has a, uh, a, a very elaborate website that not only provides all contact information, including mine, it's got a bio on a lot of the folks, and it also has a bunch of uh, a lot of training material, a lot of reference material that would be of interest. What would be that uh, website? Uh, it would be www.protocolsllc.com. Sounds pretty, uh, pretty practical. Well, that's it. Any other phone numbers or any other uh, items to get to you directly, Tom, if they want to do that? Absolutely. My phone is 303-880-4046, and I have it with me 724. Well, that's great. And thanks again to Hugh Bingham for being my special co-host today. Hugh, again, is one of our Ringler Associates out in Denver, Colorado. And, uh, Hugh, how can people reach you if they uh, want to talk to you about things? Well, certainly uh, by uh, uh, Ringler's uh, very fine website, ringlerassociates.com, or toll-free at... uh, 1-800-988-0996. Well, that's terrific. And, of course, again, I'm Larry Cohen, your host. You can reach me again on that same Ringler website, ringlerassociates.com. Uh, I want to thank you again for listening. I want you to go out and make it a great day. And as soon as this uh, program ends, Hugh, you and I are going to sit down for a friendly wager on the Rockies and the Red Sox. Have a great day, everyone. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to Ringler Radio. 
Ringler Associates, experience counts. Since 1975, Ringler Associates has provided the finest structured settlement services to injured parties and their attorneys. Ringler Radio is made possible in part by the life markets that issue structured settlement annuities, including Allstate, American General Structured Settlements, Aviva, The Hartford, Liberty Life, Mass Mutual, MetLife, New York Life, John Hancock, and Prudential. 